got two different clocks. I'll go with the one at the top there. So we've got like 30 seconds. I'll let a few more people come in. This session is Tips for Raising Missionary Kids. If you came to hear about missionary kids, you're in the right place. If you were looking for statistics or uh, other, other subjects. All right. Well, I think we can get started. Is that better? All right. Um, before I introduce myself and um, get into the talk, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. So by raising your hand, who in the audience um, is a healthcare professional or training to be a healthcare professional? Whether doctor, nurse, PA, dentist, pharmacist, occupational therapist, any uh, health field. So most, okay. Um, who is married or hoping someday to be married? Almost every hand. Okay. And who is a mother or father, a parent, or hoping that parenthood is someday in your future? Okay. Yes. And who is um, considering mission service, um, working either short-term or long-term? Yes. Um, and I really, it's my heart's desire that everybody, everybody in this room and everybody at this conference will see, yes, that any healthcare profession can be used on the mission field. Maybe not every location, but definitely in mission service. And I strongly feel that God has given us our education and our skills, our training, our experience, and it's really our job just to hand that back to him and say, how can I use this for your glory? Uh, whether here or internationally, cross-culture, whatever, whatever is your goal for me, God, I want to do it to honor you. But that's a separate lecture. Um, so back to have you ever wondered, how is this going to work? How am I going to be a healthcare professional and a missionary and a parent? And how is this going to work and how do you raise kids on the mission field? Um, I've had a lot of questions as I've uh, lectured at GMHC in the past. Um, people raise this issue. Um, and so I've been invited to share my experience um, I've been a missionary on the field for 16 years and raised my girls overseas. And it's not that I have all the answers. I don't. And it's not that I did everything right because I didn't. But I'm hoping that by sharing my stories, by sharing my experience, I can encourage you. And also maybe you can learn from my experience and as well as my mistakes. I have nothing to disclose. My name is Dr. Suzanne Snyder. You can call me Susie. I'm currently an emergency room physician in Columbus, Ohio, and married to an immensely sweet Christian husband, Jason Estep. Um, I have two grown daughters, Lauren, who is 28, and Rebecca, who's 31, and has three little boys and a baby girl finally coming on the way. Right out of residency, my med-peds, uh, internal medicine and pediatrics residency in Nashville, Tennessee, we went to Kenya, Africa, and served with uh, a mission agency called Christian Missionary Fellowship. Um, for 15 years, we lived on the field and uh, served in southeast Kenya. Um, currently, I also serve as a medical consultant with, a mission, with Christian Missionary Fellowship, and we're also volunteers with uh, Samaritan's Purse and World Medical Mission. Um, we, our family was on a team of families that worked primarily in... Um, church planting, Christian leadership development, and primary evangelism. My first husband was an ordained minister, and his roles included um, teaching village Bible classes on a day-to-day basis. Shall I use this? I can 
this to you. Okay. I'm sorry if you can't hear me. Is that better? Okay, better. Okay. So just to recap, um, we were missionaries serving in southwest Kenya among the Maasai people for 15 years um, on a team of church planters, evangelists. I was the only doctor on the team. Um, So our family was focused on the medical ministry, which was oversight of nine clinics in remote village locations in Kenya. I served and provided medical care uh, to Maasai patients of every age, as well as oversight for Christian uh, clinicians in the clinic system. But we also had two children, and providing for them uh, physically, socially, academically, spiritually was definitely a challenge, but very rewarding. Uh, My oldest daughter was two when we moved to Kenya. Uh, Lauren, the youngest, was born there. That's a whole other story. Um, They spent their growing up years in Africa. When asked today, they both would unequivocally say they wouldn't trade it for anything. They consider their childhood in Kenya a positive. So let me give you some tips, and it's basically lessons learned um, as I raised two missionary kids. Um, Some definitions here, I'll throw out the term MK, that's an acronym for missionary kid. There's also TCK, which is third culture kid, and we'll uh, define that and explore it a little bit later. Um, There's also a term furlough, and sometimes people are not sure what that means. That's um, basically missionaries will often go to a host field for a period of time, whether a year, two, three, four years and then they'll come back to their home country, to the States or wherever their home country is, for a home assignment or a time back in their home. Um, That's what I'm referring to as a furlough. Okay. Um, So tip number one is to remember and know that kids are different. What works well for one child may or may not work well for the next. A lot of times when people are asking me about my experience of raising kids on the mission field, a lot of those questions revolve around education. How do you educate the kids and schooling? So let's focus on schooling. And the bottom line I want to emphasize is that everybody's situation is different. Needs of different kids are going to be different. Your mission team may have figured out what works well for your team and their children, and that's okay if it works for you, but don't feel ashamed if it doesn't work and you need to do something different. Um, That's okay because kids are different. When my family lived in the bush among the Maasai for seven years, the closest English-speaking school was eight hours' drive away. The local Maasai school was pretty small, honestly not very good quality, and was taught in Swahili, which we didn't speak. When we moved to the field, our team recommended that we learn the tribal language of the Maasai, which was Kima. And that's because everybody in the community would speak that tribal language. The older people, the women, the children, um, only the young men who had gone through school would speak any Swahili, even though it was the national language and the language of the education system. So while my kids learned some Maasai just being there in the community, they weren't fluent in the educational language of Swahili. So, um, and I wasn't really prepared to send my five-year-old to boarding school, so we turned to homeschool. And homeschool was kind of the norm for our mission team. So with all of those considerations, we chose homeschool for early years. 
Um, we did foresee that the girls would go probably to a mission boarding school for high school, and we even enrolled them and got them on the waiting list for Rift Valley Academy when they were three. It's pretty highly competitive. <laughs> but anyway, um, so besides being a missionary doctor, I also got to be a homeschool teacher for five years. Okay, so I've been to medical school. I have two board certifications. I'm an educated, smart person. But teaching a child to read, I was way in over my head. And there are a gazillion homeschool curricula out there. I honestly didn't know what I was doing. I ended up um, developing or actually copying um, a teammate's curriculum for preschool called the Letter of the Week. So with arts and crafts and books and activities, we would focus on one letter each week. After that year, I borrowed a teammate's Bob Jones University Press kindergarten and first grade curriculum, as she already had it, and that would save shipping and purchasing costs. Uh, by third grade, I was a little bit more curriculum savvy, and I used a combination of Bob Jones for reading Saxon math and sunlight for history and science. And my oldest daughter, Rebecca, did well. We installed a reading light in her bedroom. Our rule was that as long as you're in bed, you can read as, li as long as you like. And she read, and she read, and she read, way past when I went to bed. Um, but she became a really good reader. However, I was always nervous that she would be behind academically, um, particularly when we went back to the States for our furlough. But she did well. She integrated into first grade at a private Christian school in San Antonio. So let's fast forward to Lauren. Well, I was confident. I had taught Rebecca how to read and thought, well, the second go-round should go easier. Wrong. <laughs> it did not. I used the same preschool curriculum, the same activities, the same books, but Lauren just couldn't quite get numbers versus letters. And um, I tried different things. I tried computer games. I tried movement exercises. I tried bribing her with M&Ms. I just didn't work. Um, so after the preschool year, we did kindergarten, but that didn't go very well either. And thinking, well, some kids mature slower than others. Let's do another year of kindergarten. Um, imagine this scene. So I put three letters out on the table. There's M, and there's S, and there's T. Okay, Lauren, so what's this? K. No, there's, there's no K. Okay, so M, S, T. What's this? Okay, I'm like, no, no, yes, like snake. What's this letter? K. <laughs> no, it, it was the, the family even still reminds me of this horrifying moment when I just kind of came unglued and I said, don't say K. K is not an option. And I was having a nervous breakdown and pretty much she was too. And it was a nightmare. Well, at this point, we were scheduled to go back to the States for our year of furlough. Um, I tried to enroll her in first grade. This was after preschool and two years of kindergarten. Um, but she didn't test high enough in reading. And they put her in pre-first, which was basically another year of kindergarten. I went into the principal and the teacher kind of to voice my concerns. And their response was, well, let us get to, give us a chance to get to know her. I'm like, okay. So the goal was to try to get her ready for second grade uh, when we went back to Kenya. And yet at the same time, she had an incredible vocabulary and just a wild, wonderful imagination. I knew there was intelligence there. But why had she failed kindergarten twice? So she gets through that year, and we move back to Kenya. 
we actually transitioned to living in Nairobi. Um, it started out as a recommendation of our team because we had had several team families that had actually resigned being missionaries and had left the field once their children got into junior high school because homeschool out in the bush was just getting too difficult. So rather than lose us entirely, our team recommended that we move to the capital city so that the girls could stay at home and go to a mission day school. Nobody had done this strategy before. Um, we really struggled with it. We kind of felt like, you know, we were leaving um, and... and uh, abandoning our, our mission team or the nationals there, but God really used it and turned it into a wonderful disengagement strategy because we weren't living on site day to day. The Christian Maasai church leaders started doing the daily preaching and teaching, and the Maasai clinic workers started doing the daily administration. So um, it, it turned and evolved into a great um, disengagement strategy. So we moved into Nairobi, rented a house, and the girls enrolled in Rosalyn Academy. Um, but when Lauren was tested, she didn't score at second grade levels, and they wanted to put her in first grade. Well, that would put her two years behind her age mates, and I was foreseeing high school graduation and thinking, okay, her classmates are going to be 17, 18, and she's going to be 20. Um, it just seemed like too big of a gap, and I was uncomfortable with it. I went to their teacher and principal and voiced my concerns, and they said, well, give us a chance to get to know her. And um, so they worked with her through the year. Honestly, second grade was miserable for Lauren. She struggled all year. She routinely missed PE classes because she had to stay in at the back of the classroom to finish worksheets. Um, There were daily timed math tests where students had to do, it was 100 problems on a sheet, and they had to do a certain number within a timed amount uh, of minutes. And then if they succeeded, they could go on to the next worksheet. The first one was like plus zero. The next was plus one. The next was plus two. Um, and at the front of the classroom was this huge um, poster with the rows of children's names and the columns of the categories of you know, plus zero, plus one, plus two. And as the children would succeed in a certain worksheet, they could advance to the next one and get a check mark. And Lauren was looking at this all year, and basically she never got beyond plus zero or plus one. And looking at this every day, she just was reminded how miserably slow she was. Um, Envision the scene where we're at the dining room table. I'm trying to help her with her math homework. And after several months of just struggling, she pushed the sheet back at me and said, No, Mom, I can't. You know I'm too slow, meaning I'm too dumb. And my heart just broke for her. Because inside I was screaming, No, you're not dumb. I know you're not dumb. But I just I didn't know what was wrong and why she was struggling so. It was getting toward the end of the year, and both her teacher and the principal were going to be resigning and returning back to the States. So I went in to talk to them. I said, look, next year she's going to have a new principal and a new teacher, and if one more person says to me, give us a chance to get to know her, I'm going to wring somebody's neck. Fortunately, the principal was worth her weight in gold, and she said, no, I've been watching too. I've gone into Lauren's class. I've been watching her, and um, in fact, I'm recommending testing. So she sent us to Tumaini Counseling Center in Nairobi. It's a ministry of AIM with trained, licensed American missionary healthcare professionals. An American missionary licensed psychologist administered 
um, IQ and um, behavioral testing with Lauren. The tests, which really by God's grace, were the same tests she would have gotten in the USA. And they show the diagnosis of ADHD. Now, while getting a diagnosis of an educational disorder is nothing that any mother would want, for Lauren, it was the ticket into getting resources. It bought her an IEP and classroom accommodations and resources that changed her life. Initially, we weren't happy with leaving the bush and going into Nairobi and even struggled with those pride issues of not being real bush missionaries. But yet, God knew what Lauren needed, even more than me. And God provided. So Lauren went on to third grade, but she also got reading lab um, during school and resources after classes. We made the conscious decision as parents that we would try anything that was recommended to us. Just, we'll do anything. We'll do whatever. So it meant reading glasses to decrease eye strain, recommended by the optometrist. Um, it meant resource classes before and after school. Um, the resource teacher wanted us to do extra phonics homework and also recommended rhythmic writing. So she had, we, we built this four-foot-high chalkboard where Lauren would stand up with it with chalk and draw these enormous figure eights while I would dictate out left, right, left, down, right, up, left. Um, it was supposed to build synaptic connections between the hemispheres. Seemed like voodoo to me, but we did it for 30 minutes every day for 18 months. Um, we even had her enrolled in uh, piano classes to learn crossover hand pieces to help the hemispheres to talk to one another. Um, and yes, prescription medication. I sympathize very much with parents who don't want to put their children on drugs. But after researching it, doing a lot of reading on it, we decided we'll give it a try. Why not give it a try? It, we can always stop if she has side effects. So I envision this scene. I remember vividly walking home with Lauren from school in October, November of that third grade year. And she said to me, Mommy, when did I start taking Ritalin? I said, well, we started it in May, very low dose. We've increased it gradually over the summer, hoping not to avoid any sleep problems. And so maybe eight weeks. She asked, mm, so how, do I, how long will I be taking it? And I was kind of concerned, like, mm, is she having side effects I don't know about? And I said, well, um, your doctor, re doctor recommended that you take it for two years, and then you can decide whether you want to continue it or not. She immediately responded, Mommy, don't ever take me off. I was like, whoa. I was kind of surprised, and I said, Lauren, why, why do you say that? And she said, well, you know when you're running in P.E. and your heart's racing and your palms get all sweaty? She said, well, that was happening to me, but I wasn't in P.E. I was in class. But that doesn't happen to me anymore. I'm in math class, but I don't, my palms don't sweat anymore and my heart doesn't race anymore. And she went on to give a textbook description of panic attacks. And it just broke my heart. I thought... My nine-year-old is having panic attacks, and I didn't know. It was very sobering. Real missionaries have real problems. But God is faithful, 
and God provides. Let's fast forward in Lauren's story. By the end of third grade, Lauren was on grade level for reading. And by the end of fourth grade, um, she was on grade level for all subjects. We went back to the States for our next furlough. And for fifth grade, she enrolled in a Christian school in Nashville and was on in regular classes for every subject except Spanish. Fortunately, she had had so much trouble learning English that the school didn't demand that she learn a second language. But she did go on to learn Spanish in junior high. Um, the IEP developed at Tumaini Center stood up, at, stood up as a legalized document in the USA, a document that we maintained, did what we needed to to keep it up to date, and she kept it all the way through college. She did learn Spanish in junior high. She went on to study Russian for two years in high school. For 11th and 12th grades, Lauren went to a college preparatory program for the gifted at Ball State University. She graduated from Johns Hopkins University in three years. I'm sorry. God is good. She completed her MBA, Master's of Business Administration, last December despite COVID restrictions. She works full-time at the American Medical Association, became a project manager just within the last few months. I consider her an academic success and a testimony of God's goodness and provision. God is good. My oldest daughter, Rebecca, went through the conventional American education system and did just fine. Lauren needed a different path, and that's okay, because kids are different. And so educational and development strategies may vary between children. The next tip is take advantage of your opportunities. Being a field missionary, serving on the mission field, affords enormous opportunities for children to experience diverse cultures, peoples, languages, foods, and dress. As we serve cross-culturally, our children are going to also learn how to bridge cultures. In the day-to-day, you've heard about teachable moments. Well, I talk about teachable travels. And I just encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities, whether visiting teammates in another part of the country, going to the capital city for supplies, going on vacation within your country of service, or neighboring countries. If your agency allows vacations to other countries, take advantage of it and go see some other places. Our children were actually invited by another mission family to join their family vacation to Thailand, and it was a fantastic adventure and learning experience for them. Another example of taking advantage of opportunities is furlough um, layovers. After seven years in in the field, as we came back for our second furlough, I learned that international airlines that require a stopover in Europe will sometimes allow you to extend that layover without any additional cost for three days. So um, we decided that as we were coming back from Kenya, Rebecca had just finished fourth grade, uh, Lauren Kindergarten, we made our layover in London a three-day stay and included a whole bunch of sightseeing. As part of the homeschool curriculum for Rebecca in fourth grade, I had her wrap up the year with a research paper um, focusing on London's historic sites. So I let her pick out some places and do research and writing on that. So when we went to London, it was a kid-guided tour in terms of going to all the places that she had picked out and learned and written about. It was a great opportunity. Tip number three is that 
you need to embrace the culture you move to, but also honor your home culture too. Let me explain. In general, missionaries are encouraged to embrace and immerse into the host culture in which we live and minister. Learning the native language is critical for heartfelt conversations. Living among the people that we're trying to serve and cultural sensitivity are critical for relationships to communicate on spiritual matters. Living cross-culturally requires sacrifice of much that is familiar or home. Effectiveness in mission may require dressing differently, relating differently, talking differently, lots of difference, and much of daily life changes. But on the other hand, we can't necessarily expect our children or ourselves to become the host culture. We lived in the Kenya bush among the tribal people of the Maasai for seven years, effectively living within a Maasai village, and we learned the Maasai language. But we aren't Maasai. One look at our pale skin, it's obvious we're not Maasai, and we never will be. And you know what? The Maasai knew that. They knew that we weren't Maasai. They knew that we were from outside their culture. Um, Sometimes they thought we were odd, but they accepted us even still and loved us too. So we did our best to immerse ourselves in the Maasai culture, but we also had to stay American. And how do we do that? Realizing, you know, one day we will retire. We'll go back to our home culture, either for furlough or after we leave the field. So we have to balance the two cultures. We have to be a part of, but also honor both the host and the home cultures. How do you do that? Well, here's some suggestions and examples of how we did that. One was in uh, celebrating holidays. Um, Halloween was an example where the kids wouldn't let us not celebrate that. Um, But we did it within our own home. Um, we had a day in Halloween where we would put up some decorations, we would let them put on costumes, and then we did trick-or-treating from one bedroom to the other. Um, candy uh, and kids in costumes. It was fun. Um, for Christmas, we would do the Maasai traditional celebration of going to church for a celebratory service and then a goat roast and a meal um, with the village. But then their tradition was after that service and goat roast to go home and spend time with family. So we would do that, too. We would attend the the public services and the celebration and then go home and have some time with our family. And that's when we would have our Christmas tree, our presents, our decorations and such to celebrate the American components of of the holiday. Birthdays was another way in which we integrated um, the American culture. We had our birthday cake and ice cream and presents. Um, Sometimes we would celebrate birthdays as a team, um, particularly as if we had a team retreat and had a bunch of, of the teammates or kids who had birthdays around the same time, we'd do a big group party, but trying to honor both of the cultures. Another example would be the, to make the most of furloughs, um, trying to do other sightseeing, uh, including American traditions and holidays and sites. All right, the next tip I would have for you is embrace the TCK. TCK, an acronym for Third Culture Kid. So this term includes missionary kids, but also any children who spend a significant number of their growing up years in a country and culture different from their parents' passport country. 
So by this definition, um, this would be missionary kids, but also military children or um, embassy children, government liaison children, um, international corporation children. So any of those groups, um, their children spending significant number of growing up years in a culture different from their parents' passport country, fits the definition of TCK. My kids were actually older than I'd like to say that before I even learned this concept, so that's why I want you to be introduced to it. Um, the TCK, growing up in a culture different from their parents, actually develop a totally different culture. So the TC culture is, is a culture in and of itself. Um, it includes... It's a blending of both the home and the host culture. But there's also some components to it that's unique to TCKs. Um, so that any TCK, no matter what country they grow up in, they still have some similarities because they're TCKs. I found it very interesting that my TCK, Rebecca, who grew up in Kenya, ended up marrying a TCK who grew up spending significant of time of his growing up years in Luxembourg. Very different. She grew up in Africa. He grew up in Europe. But they're both TCKs, and they they could get each other because of that similar TCK culture. So TCKs, no matter what country they grow up in, will have similar characteristics, mannerisms, and worldviews. So it's helpful to learn about this and do some reading on it, and I recommend this book, The Third Culture Kid Experience by Dave Pollock and Ruth Van Riken. For the most part, my children benefited from being TCKs. I think it was really an advantage to them. They grew up radically colorblind. They have a greater appreciation for culture diversity. TCKs tend to mature faster than other kids and become global citizens. Now, there are some downsides, too. Um, TCKs often have an impatience with prejudice. They sometimes have, they miss a sense of home. Um, they, it's like they belong to the world globally, but they don't belong in any certain one place. They, so where's home is very difficult for them. Sometimes they feel lost and unaccepted. So there's pros and cons. It's a good concept to be familiar with. The next tip, say good goodbyes. You have to end well before you can begin well. Generally, we don't like saying goodbyes. Maybe it's because we like what we're doing or who we're with, don't like the fun to end, or maybe we don't like change or trying to move on to something that, particularly if it's unfamiliar. But what I've learned is you, to, in order to have a next good season, you have to end the first season well. And that includes saying goodbye. As missionaries, we move a lot. We move to another country. We move to another ministry field. We may move from language school to a ministry site. And after some years, we move back either back to our home country for home assignments, furloughs, or to resign and and move back from the field. Our family did this transcontinental moving eight times, and we moved three times within Kenya. So that's lots of packing and moving. Each move brings excitement at some new ministry, some new season in work and life, but it's also filled with with, with sad goodbyes for those we leave behind. Going from the USA to Kenya meant some sad goodbyes. And even coming back from Kenya to the USA also meant some sad goodbyes. Goodbyes are painful. I remember 
hugging on and just sobbing, uh, hugging a, a teammate, a missionary teammate, as she was on her way to the airport to leave the field. And I was crying more than she was. And she said to me through my tears, she said, do you know why it hurts so bad? Because we have loved so well. And I've always remembered that. You can't start a new season until we finish the last season well. So how do we do this? What are some suggestions and tips? Well, I suggest that saying goodbyes need to be expected, planned, and intentional. We say goodbyes and we're also going to have to help our children navigate goodbyes. So here's some suggestions. Intentionality, make a list. Make a list of all the people, places, and things um, that we are leaving. The family members is the most obvious, but it can also be friends, teachers, pets, a house, their room, their school, or even favorite activities. So make a list. Second, make a plan to say goodbye to each item or person on the list. And as we say goodbye, there's kind of three caveats. One is letting people know we're leaving. It may be easier not to say goodbyes and just disappear, but that leaves a lot of disappointment and when people are left in the dark as to why we're gone. Next, the tip is to express thanks. To verbalize something positive about the person, what they mean to you, or a positive impact they had on your life. But in terms of a good but goodbye, there's expressing thanks and something positive to the person. And lastly, lastly, attempting to reconcile, if need be. If there's a broken relationship, mending it before you go. Moving to another continent does not make the strife go away. Out of sight, out of mind just isn't true. If we don't say goodbyes, our psyches kind of get stuck. And so really saying goodbye helps to move on to the next season. What did this look like with my children? Well, the first was making the list of uh, teachers, pets, friends, pets, places, and intentionally making an effort to say goodbye to each item and thing or person. Were there tears? Oh, yes. There were lots of tears. But... That closure that it gave was a blessing, and it gave opportunities, teachable moments, to talk about Jesus, heaven, and our future hopeful reunions with people. Another strategy that I learned was allowing each child to pack one of their two checked pieces of luggage. Now, when the girls were babies, I did the packing. I chose what it, you know, the clothes that were going to be packed and the toys and what equipment everybody de- needed. Mama decided. But starting about age three, I let each girl um, choose what would go into one of their suitcases. I let them pick what toys or precious items they wanted to bring from home, wherever home was at the time, to the next stage that we were going to. I remember when Lauren was about six and packing up for furlough, she packed her rock collection and her button collection. This was going from Kenya to America. And I tried to dissuade her. I said, sweetie, America has rocks. And America also has buttons, lots of buttons. But she was not dissuaded. And I had to learn that I needed to let them choose what was so precious to them that they couldn't leave it behind. And also to prioritize given the limited weight and space that we had. So say good goodbyes. Um, At this point, let's circle back to Lauren. In preparing for this breakout session, I asked her, 
I said, Lauren, if you were in a room full of future missionary parents, what advice would you give them? And she gave me several points, and I will try to quote her as much as possible. Her first tip was, first and foremost, don't panic. Despite all the aforementioned challenges, Lauren really does consider her growing up in Kenya a positive. She thinks she turned out well, and I do too. The next thing she said is, take them with you. Kind of obvious, but we actually had people when, when Rebecca was, I don't know, 18 months. There was a lady in a church who came up and said, well, you're not taking that baby with you, are you? And my husband at the time said, uh, no, we're going to put her in an airport locker and pack four years of food in there and pick her up on the way back. <laughs> Obviously, you know, yes. But, but it's kind of the point that do take them with you and don't necessarily be really afraid of that. Um, Lauren said, expose children to other people and cultures. Whatever you like to do, whatever your hobbies, whether it's travel, hiking, bird watching, continue that and take them with you to do it. Take them along despite the dangers, real or imagined. Rebecca said, uh, sorry, Lauren said that sleeping in the car overnight like Rebecca did when the car got stuck in the mud was not the worst thing in the world. She survived. This, to me, is a picture of the epitome of taking them with you. If you look at this picture and your mind thinks of Afghanistan, you're very observant. Our family was actually invited to move to this country to uh, serve long term. And I responded that I couldn't begin to consider that unless the whole family went to see it and be part of the decision-making process. So we went. Uh, We all went for a two-week short-term trip. And it was probably one of the most dangerous and scary short-term mission trips I've ever been on. Um, Lord provided. We we survived. We He kept us safe. And it was a phenomenal learning experience for them that they still talk about. When asked uh, for her advice, Lauren's next point was, don't sweat the small ticks. TCK sometimes verbalize things a little differently. Don't sweat the small ticks. Many missionaries move to remote places where there's just profuse bugs, spiders, and snakes. And we mothers want to protect our children from all dangers. But as Lauren said, life happens. Lauren actually had a very close encounter with a spitting cobra uh, playing outside uh, in our village area once. But fortunately, the, um, the snake didn't strike. She survived. And her conclusion was, let us play outside. And they enjoyed their outdoor time. Her next bit of advice was, use lots of sunscreen and eye protection. Our routine in the bush was wake up, get dressed, and put on sunscreen. I lathered them up with sunscreen at least twice a day, and I figured I was torturing them. But looking back, they consider it a positive. Her next bit of advice was avoid the church bubble school. Now, the girls attended a private Christian school during both furloughs. It was a good experience. When our family returned from Kenya in 2006, our girls were offered, even encouraged, but declined adamantly the private Christian school experience. Um, They quite adamantly wanted to go to public school. I thought they were nuts, or at least naive, Um, I wanted to protect them from what I thought were dangers and challenges of public school, but they wanted to avoid the insulated environment. Looking back, 
uh, Lawrence says, international schools are okay, boarding schools are okay, but avoid insular environments. Aim for diverse cultural experience. Her next bit of advice was keep them up to date on vaccinations. Now, this is coming from a child who, preparing to leave for Kenya, one day got seven vaccinations, same day, two shots, both arms, both legs. Everybody in the room was crying for her. It was so painful. Um, So while on one hand, Lauren emphasizes you can't eliminate all the dangers and the risks, don't sweat the small ticks, but what protection we can advise, what protection we can provide, Sunscreen, vaccinations, she sees as worthwhile, even though it was painful at the time. Regarding furlough assignments, her comment was, try out sports, even if it's just for a year. So serving on the mission field does come with costs. I would say the most expensive cost, the one that was most palpable, was time with family. Um, But a lot of the American norm may not be available Little league, gymnastics, dance, those may or may not be available on the mission field. And maybe it doesn't seem like good resources for a missionary kid to be enrolled in those activities for just a year. But Lauren's thought was, no, maximize the furlough time. Um, Explore different experiences. When asked about her regrets, her encouragement was, encourage them to be bilingual. Now, this is coming from someone who learned some Maasai as a young child, Swahili in grade school, Spanish in junior high, Russian in high school, but yet now she's only fluent in English. She regrets not being able to speak those other languages now. As I looked over her comments, I actually found it very interesting in her regrets are a combination of both continents. She regrets, um, you know, she, re- she wishes she had taken Taekwondo, But on the other hand, she wishes she was fluent in Maasai and Swahili. So what she misses from her childhood is a combination of both, both continents. So as a mother, and I'm trying to reason this out, to provide, you know, the perfect childhood, I could have stayed in the United States to give her kind of the full American upbringing, or I could have stayed in Kenya to give her the full Kenyan upbringing, but there's no way to do both. So what do we do? We do the best we can. We do the best we can. And Lauren's um, point was try try to vary that experience. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of furloughs and don't panic. We'll turn out okay. So in conclusion, if God is calling you and your family to missions, he does promise to go with us. And he promises to provide. At this point, I want to open it up for questions and discussion. I know that some of you here at the conference are active field missionaries. You're there. You're doing it. You're actually raising kids on the missionary field. So you're experts, too. And I would love to hear from you. So in a few minutes, uh, let's open up for questions. This is my personal email and phone number. I'm available for you. I would very much be glad to hear from you. I will be here for a while after the session, and feel free to email me, call me, text me. Now, if I'm doing several ER shifts in a row, I'm not available to anybody. I don't communicate at all, but uh, I'll get back with you, so don't be offended if I don't answer back right away. All right, let's open it up for questions, comments. Yes. 
Right. So the question is, what's better for the child? Uh, frequent traveling back and forth um, between uh, countries or larger blocks of time? Um, and for example, for us, we actually spent four years on the field and then three and then three. So we were there long blocks of time. Um, that's probably pretty rare. I think more the norm is probably one or two years and then coming back for like six months. There's What I've learned is there's so much variety now and there's no one right answer. It really depends on your agency. It depends on your family. It depends on the ministry, um, kind of what you're trying to accomplish. And I want to encourage you, there, there's no one right answer. It really can vary. Um, for children who are in school, from our experiencing, trying to keep the school year intact had benefits. But you know what? It is really impossible to foresee all the nuances ahead. In our experience, one thing I didn't even mention is that with our second furlough, okay, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what furlough it was, but when my oldest daughter was in ninth grade, we were scheduled for a furlough. She stayed in Kenya. Um, our family came back to the States. Lauren went to fifth grade at David Lipscomb, uh, so a private Christian school in Nashville, and Rebecca stayed in Kenya. She wanted to have all four years of high school in one location. Um, that was not in our strategic plan, you know, like when she was in junior high. I felt kind of uncomfortable leaving her behind in Kenya, but she moved in with a, a team family and... Uh, I think overall considered it a positive. So that was really thinking outside the box. And I couldn't have predicted it a year or two ahead. It was just kind of at that time that was best for her in our family. We, We in some ways hated to have her apart for that period of time, but it was almost like a pre college experience where she, I knew she was in a safe environment. Anyway, God, God, um, God's creative, so there may be even creative issues we, and answers that we can't think of right now. Yes? That's a really good question in terms of um, how much do we push our kids to try to engage with the local culture um, and play with kids that are there in our host culture. That's a really good question. When we, before we went to the field and as we moved there, um, my assumption was that my kids would, you know, kind of integrate, play with Maasai kids and have Maasai friends and learn Maasai and probably be more Maasai than we were, you know. 
And for a lot of different reasons, it all evolved very differently than what I expected. Um, now, my kids, we went to Maasai Church. They would play with the kids. But at, at that time, there was not a Sunday school. So they couldn't understand a lot of the adult church. And I had to kind of let go of the idea that, oh, well, they were going to be, you know, helping with the Maasai church or just be integrated into it. They played with the kids, and then we went home and we did our own Sunday school uh, with Sunday school curriculum. Um, it turns out that in our team, what we noticed just culturally is that the, the American missionary boys would go out and play with all the Maasai kids and the shepherds and so forth. The Maasai girls of that same age group are home working. They're gathering firewood. They're watching younger kids. They're not necessarily out as the shepherds. And it is, there were also cultural things that we were, we were guided by our Maasai Christian friends in terms of what was safe. So for our little girls, it was not safe, you know, in the, the, the very, very young toddler age, actually, at three years of age, Lauren could go out of the screen door and head out to the duca and the clinic in the village and make the rounds, and she'd come home with gumballs in her mouth, and she'd had tea, and everybody had looked after her, and she'd hung out at the clinic and had a great time. But as they got into more eight-year-old range, uh, we were warned, it's not safe. Um, just culturally, there are things that go on, um, sexual practices and such, where they said, you, you have to keep an eye on your girls all the time. So it, there, there was kind of uh, lots of things to weigh in. And um, honestly, we had to kind of learn from the culture what was accepted and what wasn't. You know, if we had been in a, a city environment, um, like a language school or something, it would have been totally different dynamics. So I guess I just want to encourage you that it's kind of tough. You have to wait till you get there maybe and, and see what the situation is. And then... I would encourage you, with, with my kids, I tried to give them the freedom to do what they want to do, but also the freedom not to do stuff if they really didn't want to do it. I wasn't going to push them and have them fight me about you know, interaction. They, they made friends. As you saw, they, they had different friends that they would play with, play games with, but then some interaction that I thought they would have didn't evolve. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. Where were you, where were they mission? Belgium. You went. How many years were you there? Ten years. Wow. 
Thank you very much for your service. She, uh, she and her family were missionaries in Belgium, but asked the question in terms of her parents, they struggled a lot um, with their mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, and how, uh, how can we combat that? So a 10-minute warning there. Um, and if at any time you feel like it's time you need to leave, I think um, the next thing is dinner, but feel free, freedom to leave if you need to. Um, I open this up, too, for other suggestions. I don't necessarily have all the right answers. Um, I know that our, our team uh, of missionary families, even though we didn't live together in a compound, we were actually two or three hours drive apart, but we would, yeah, try to get together um, once every month or two um, just for mutual support, worship. Because I found that it was, it was really hard. We went to Maasai Church, but it was more an act of love. It didn't feed me spiritually. Uh, that wasn't my heart language. I was struggling through the whole thing to try to understand some. You know, men are on one side, women are on the other. It's, it's just lots of different cultural things. So trying to get fed spiritually is a challenge. It's a very, very hard challenge. Um, for me, one of the keys was a, um, private devotional time. When the girls went to bed, there was that hour or two that was quiet. Um, it was dark, so Maasai visitors weren't at the house. And that's when I could, I remember Max Licato, one of my favorite authors, just to try to soak in um, spiritual nourishment in the team. What other suggestions do you all have? Yes.
appreciate your comments. So so what I captured from that sounded like first intentionality and then regular. Consistent. No no Bible, no breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that. No. Regular regular devotions on some kind of scheduled pattern. Very critical. That's impressive. And where were you again? In Kenya? Zambia. South Sudan for a decade. Wow. Thank you for your service. Yeah, talk to her. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I'm off. I know I'm off screen. But I just feel like I'm so far away when I'm back there. Any other questions or comments? I appreciate other people chiming in because I'll, I'll admit we we were not successful with that, unfortunately. So it's very hard. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, that's a great take-home message. You can't be alone. That's true. We we need each other, need other people for a safety network and accountability network. That's very true. Other thoughts? I think it's this point. It's almost five, so we can kind of officially close. Uh, thank you so much for being here and your input and I'll hang out here at the bottom. Thank you so much.